I am so glad you could join us. I'm your host, Mo Gaudat. This podcast is nothing more than a conversation between two good friends sharing inspiring life stories and perhaps some nuggets of wisdom along the way. This is your invitation to slow down with us. Welcome to Slow Mo. My guest today is trying to bring together two topics that I think are the most critical for humanity to have a complete understanding of what our existence in this world is all about. Dr. Lisa Miller is the New York Times bestselling author of The Spiritual Child. She's a professor in the clinical psychology program at Teachers College, Columbia University. She is the founder and director of the Spirituality Mind Body Institute, which is the first Ivy League graduate program in spirituality and psychology, really. And she has held over a decade of joint appointments in the Department of Psychiatry at Columbia Medical School. Her innovative research has been published in more than 100 empirical, peer-reviewed articles in leading journals, including the American Journal of Psychiatry and the Journal of the American Academy of Child and uh, Adolescence Psychiatry. And now she has a new book, which is The Awakening Brain. The idea of bringing spirituality and science together, honestly, is something that I've spoken about a lot on Slow Mo before. So I'm really, really looking forward to this conversation. I hope you will enjoy it, Dr. Lisa Miller. I think where I want to start, Lisa, is to ask you, like I normally do as an engineering mind, a very rational mind first, to define spirituality. Because I have a definition, but I have to say it's actually rarely discussed. People rarely actually know what do we mean by spirituality? Is that what we get in Judaism and and, uh, Islam and Christianity? Or maybe, maybe, no, no, it's a little more like the Hinduism and, and Buddhism where people are a little less familiar spirituality, if you want, to the West. Or is it something else? Because I think people struggle with that definition. So scientists do not define spirituality as a theologian might, as you say. But scientists are very good at identifying threads within lived human spiritual life that are highly impactful on the rest of our lives and may even have foundational biological roots. And so, by which I do not mean biological determinism, but merely as markers, roots in our very human composition. And there are two that I highlight in The Awakened Brain, where the preponderance of science, really the most energetic science showing the greatest impact of spirituality on our lives has been found. And the two dimensions are our deep hardwired seat of transcendent awareness. We are all endowed with the neural capacity through which to have a transcendent relationship with life itself. And whether we use the word spirit or universe or force of life or God, Hashem, Allah, the universe, there is a deep neural capacity to know ourselves in connection to the transcendent fabric of life. And the second important dimension of lived human spiritual life is that that transcendent awareness is shared. 
so that we can support transcendent awareness in one another. And more importantly, that we can show up as part of that symphony of life and enact as spiritual beings, this capacity for one another. So just to be a little bit more clear, our transcendent awareness, if we look at the neuro seat, the docking station, if you will, of awakened awareness. <laughs> I love that. Docking station is that we are not just believe, not just think, but that we perceive, we can see, feel, and know that we are loved, held, guided, and never alone. That is the characteristic perception when we are in a state of awakened awareness. And the second piece then in being able to share awakened awareness that we are loved, guided, held, and never alone is that we show up for one another and play that role, that we are indeed loving and guiding and never leave each other alone. So that so that is our capacity to realize our whole awareness is by being awakened. So I love this so much, but that's a bit not the talk of a scientist, is it? Because scientists will say, how can you even prove that you're held? How can you be even prove that you're loved? You know, the scientific method doesn't have anything built in it that can measure love. Lovely. So let's put on the scientific goggles and look at two sides to that important question. The first is the capacity to perceive that, which is characterized in science perhaps through MRI studies most convincingly. And we've done a number of MRI studies, both that my Spirituality Mind-Body Institute works in collaboration with Columbia Medical School, where I've had a joint appointment for a long time, and also with my colleagues at Yale Medical School. And together, we've seen, effectively, we are able to characterize the neural seat of awareness. And it's characterized by four important components. The first is shared with mindfulness, that just and of the four, only one is shared with mindfulness, that we are able to get present, to stop the racket, to stop the rumination <laughs> yeah. by disengaging the default mode network. The second of the remaining is that we are held, just as we were held as children in our parents' arms, the bonding network is engaged and we are able to perceive that life itself holds us. That's so beautiful. And in our birthright, this is how we're made. The next is that our parietal puts in and out hard boundaries. So I might have a zipped up bio body suit that is similar or different to the next person's and I might live here or there, but there is one common seat of human experience. We are magnificently diverse and we are foundationally part of the common fabric of life. It is one family of life. So this awareness that we are one and distinct, distinct in one is the parietal putting in and out hard boundaries, that both are true and both are sacred. And then finally, well, in society's out of balance, we go running one way and then we go running the other, right? If we're only different, how are we ever going to find an appreciation of each other's journey? And if we're all the one and the same, how are we going to listen to issues of injustice? So we have to be able to hold both, that we are yeah. interested. In. And then finally, the, the fourth, and I think is perhaps the most important of all the dimensions right now is that we do not control the world. <laughs> that in this era right now, it's actually the opportunity of our lifetimes yeah. right, worldwide to realize yeah. that we have, many of us been raised in a view that we have a great deal to do with controlling life. We have been overdeveloped in the bicep and underdeveloped in the tricep of yeah. lifting life. Yeah, and so true. <laughs> that, that of course is 
the overuse of the top-down dorsal attention network says life is strategy, life is tactics. Here's the narrow plan. We're going to prepare, we're going to pack up, and we're going to exit through the red door. That's the plan, mm. top-down. <laughs> yeah. And every so often, you know, the red door is jammed or the red door is stuck or there's no red door at all. And exactly. we then <laughs> have the opportunity to engage a bottom-up form of awareness, the ventral attention network, which has a much more expansive field of information, a much more bright, beautiful landscape as more life. And many people say that the right answer, boom, the yellow door pops. Yeah. There is a form of inspiration of receptive awareness. So between these four dimensions of our innate awakened brain, if we use it, we can see, feel, and know that we are loved, guided, held, and never alone. This is a seat of awareness that is as powerful, that is every bit as much our endowment as our narrow achieving awareness. How much time do you have? Because we could spend a couple of hours on each of those. But I want to come to that point of never alone first, because I think that is so fundamental to the challenges that most humanity faces. I mean, at the pragmatic level, when people ask me, why are there so many more cases of depression in the West than there is in the East, or by the East, I mean the less advanced world, and some of the nations that held to the traditions of the past, if you want. And I believe it's because of that feeling of I'm alone. I can't get that sense of others are there for me. And my answer normally is, well, the truth is you are. I actually, today in the morning, I was going to post on Instagram. For some reason, it hit me to just post and say, you're not alone. And I thought to myself, in my heart, I know that to be true, absolutely, with no doubt. Because if you open your heart, so many of the rest of being, including life itself, will show up. But I thought it many people wouldn't understand it. Many people wouldn't understand what I mean by you're not alone. And I think if people felt they were not alone, they would actually perceive the world very differently. They would open up not only for people to come in, but they would open the yellow door for them to go out and be there for other people. So tell me a little bit more about your view of that idea of I'm not alone. What are we talking about? So I think we've had a very shallow identification with one another as this is your political view versus my political view. This is your neighborhood versus my neighborhood. We have been really victims of radical materialism where we only see at the most shallow level who one another are the coordinates on the GPS of what country we're from, as opposed to really stepping back, removing that narrow, very shallow materialist view and looking at the unity of consciousness. We are effectively frothy waves coming up out of one ocean. Hmm. That is a very powerful point of knowing. And most of the 20th century and most of education that has come out of the 20th century has been based on really there's a sleeper cell (laughs) and the sleeper cell is radical materialism. So I think that even though the air can look clear, there's poison in the air, there's poison in the water. We have pollution right now. And Mm. so too, we have poison in our assumptive culture and our consciousness field. And that is the poison of radical materialism. The, what has caused more suffering than certainly more suffering than COVID more suffering than the arms race, more universal suffering than anything that we've created is the view of 
radical materialism, that we are only separate, that we are only different, and that somehow what happens over here in the world is unrelated to what happens right here at home in the world. That is a view that's very outdated, but it is still latent in our culture. It's latent in our education. And if we look at some of, and again, I don't want to address this ad hominem, it's in and through the global culture. But if we look at the worst decisions and the greatest tragedies of the past 20 years, it's a holdover of radical materialism that we're looking at. I can't agree more. As a matter of fact, I was victim to that myself, right? I graduate, I go through university and then go to business and then try to get an MBA just to become a little more able to collect material wealth and then work my backside off and collect enough material wealth to make myself comfortable, right? But yet I continue and continue and continue and never get satisfied and never understand why I'm not getting satisfied, literally because I'm addicted to the poison. And the truth is, Today, I, I wear $4 t-shirts. I do have 10 of them, but, uh, and they're wonderful and I love them and I don't need an Armani suit. And, you know, in all honesty, and I say that with a ton of respect, people who would care for me to wear an Armani suit are probably not the people I'm trying to impress anymore. Well, given the power of your journey, how much more shining and expansive is freedom oh my from God. the shackles? Oh my God, people don't get it. And, and I think the truth is, maybe you need a certain level of, I don't know, experience maybe to realize that none of this matters at all. As a matter of fact, if anything, it makes you a little less happy to just have to carry all of that luggage around, all of that, I don't know what to call it. It's just heavy, dead wood, really. All of the of the constant attempt to look in a way that pleases others or to own things that, I don't know. I don't know where, how to fix that. No, you'll others. love, can I give you an MRI story? I think you'll love this. Okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. Go for it. Okay, so we invited young adults, mm-hmm. right? People, very ambitious young adults. Many of them were very good students, very hardworking, 18 through 25-year-olds into the MRI machine. And we said, join us, tell us three stories Tell us about the time when you were really stressed out. Tell us about the time when you were relaxed, chill. And then tell us about a time where you felt a deep unity with the universe, your higher power, God, whatever word is yours. The stress stories. We thought we were going to hear, you know, the time that I really went with my friends and tried to scale Kilimanjaro. The time that I tried to wrestle with a difficult text or master Mandarin. But none of the stress stories had to do with challenge the stress stories that made people anxious, that set cortisol dysregulated and made people sick, made their skin break out and put them at risk for longer term conditions. Those narratives that we tell ourselves sounded like this. I have got to get that next promotion in the next eight months. I have got to get into this university. I have got to, got to, got to try to get an apartment on this block. And the I gotta was reaching for that thing just a centimeter out of our reach that we've got to have. When we tell the gotta story, mm-hmm. gotta, 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 what goes off in the MRI machine, the functional MRI, the movie camera, live action, or the insulin striatum, what my colleagues at Yale said, ah, I know that, that's the addicted brain. Mm. I gotta, gotta is the same neural mechanism as I've got to have crack cocaine, I've got to have internet pornography, I've got to have gambling, I've got to got to. The object of the got to can shift, but the insulin striatum run, and it's never enough. 
but the addiction, the latent addiction that's in the culture of much of the global community really is a choice. As you've just put so beautifully, Mo, we can ask those same young adults in the MRIs. We can ask every single one of us. I can ask myself, put my hand on the gear shift, act like the observing eye, act like the CEO over my inner life, put my hand on the gear Mm -hmm. shift and shift to the other story. That time I felt a deep connection to my higher power, God, the universe, Allah Hashem, whatever word is ours. And the story goes, I really had to get into medical school. I'd been turned down to five of six. I'm feeling like such a loser. I'm never going to be a doctor. How am I going to do it? I've got to, got to get into medical school. And then I see light in the leaves and I know that God has a plan for me. I see light in the leaves and I know life is buoyant and carrying me. And I will be a healer in the way that life intends for me. I will find it. So then I see light upon the ocean and I know that I am held. I'm part of the family of life. That is not a delusion. That is not a thought. That is not a belief. That is a perception of the deeper, perhaps implicate order of the nature of reality. That actually comes from a lot of religious beliefs. I have studied almost every religion that I could get any material about. And the idea of just let it go, life will provide, seems to prevail everywhere. Yes, of course you have to persevere and try, and but you ain't gotta do anything. You don't have to do your path of being a doctor or, a, or being an actor or whatever. That's your brain, that's your troublesome mind telling you. But there is an intricate plan. Your role in the plan is designed. And if you just play along a little bit, you'll be fine. Beautiful. And this playing along, we're designed to be able to see. We don't need to know the whole story. Mm. Where it goes is a great surprise. It's a magnificent, holds far more promise than I might have ever imagined. Mm. But we're designed to see glimpses of what you described. Of the play along. Yeah. Yeah. And we block it right? Because we are in the awakening all the time and we're not allowing the spiritual element of us to tell us, hey, by the way, there is something I cannot prove with science and logic, but it is true. And if I follow it, I know I will be in an amazing place, right? So what the science says is that when we take as valid the knowing of our awakened awareness, we are more likely not only to recover from depression and despair, but to thrive that on the other side is a freedom from our suffering. That if we are suffering or someone we love is suffering, not only is there hope to get out of depression, but that where we will go is far more shining and expansive than we might've ever thought possible. There is a way of understanding and being in the world day to day, brushing my teeth, getting in the car and going to work that is so much more full of surprise and illumination because we are in dialogue with life, the deep spirit in life. Deep intuition says turn left, and I take that seriously, and I do turn left. And there on the corner is the most beautiful woman singing in the middle of the street that I would have never heard before. Or I turn left, and then I never turn left any other day, and there's my friend I haven't seen in 11 years walking down the street. That when we take as hard data our inner wisdom, our awakened wisdom, that intuition, direct awareness, mystical knowing are valid forms of, of awareness. Yeah, absolutely. Knowledge. Yeah. This is why I say 
in the absence of empowering our feminine side, we're totally useless because we're crunching a ton of data and none of it is awakened awareness. So you don't get that into your equation, even though mathematically, I will prove to you with accurate mathematics that all of the big events of your life were not part of your design at all. They mostly, and I actually surveyed people on this, most of what makes us who we really are was off the plan. And we were so pushing to go on in another direction and then something happens and you're off the plan and suddenly, boom, life happens, right? And it becomes who you really are. That is a dialogue. That's a two-way conversation with life. The red door stuck and only because the red door stuck. Do I pivot? a hundred degrees and see the yellow door swing open with the landscape that I'd never even imagined. And I think to build on what you're saying, Mo, achieving awareness only can use the data of now past. I can only look (laughs) over my shoulder. Oh, that's so beautiful. That is so enlightening. Listen to this, guys. This is really key. I never saw it this way, that all of my analytical brain is crunching, is looking at the past or fear of the future based on interpretation of the past, yeah. Yeah, but you're saying awakened awareness will will actually see something different. We'll see what life itself sees. And life is not bound by the arrow of time. It's just trying to tell you and you're not listening. Exactly, exactly. So achieving awareness is a calculus derived from data looking over our back shoulder. And awakened awareness is the infinite knowledge held in direct knowing, intuition, mystical connection, present awareness now. And it's so powerful that it takes time. You know, we need to regard it as ultimately valid, what we learn through awakened awareness. Take that hunch as the best information you have. Take as valid real knowledge. The mystical experience is the portal to the rest of your life. It is so packed and condensed with knowledge that when we take awakened awareness and in a state of quest, try to discern its significance, unravel its implications for our lives, be with it and see what it might mean for us. Unpacking the highly condensed knowledge of awakened awareness with our achieving awareness reveals that we couldn't possibly, in all of these threads of information, use awakened awareness to one one hundredth the effectiveness of counting on the condensed high power. It's almost like high density, high pixel information of awakened awareness. Mm. So I'll I'll tell you my story. I'm now in uh, uh, Ljubljana in Slovenia, Ah. which I have only been to once in my life for a business trip. So I don't really know much about. Yesterday, or was it the day before by now, I was in LA and I was leaving on Turkish Airlines. They checked me in. They checked my bag, you know, labeled it and were carrying it to put it on the conveyor belt. And then they said, oh, hold on, hold on. Germany changed its mind. COVID restrictions, you cannot go in anymore. Long story short, I was like chill as I normally am, you know, smiling, saying, oh, that's interesting. Why do you think that is? They said, ah, they said, now you have to be double vaccinated to get in and so on. I said, fine, but the application here, I filled the German application The application says, I can actually get in with a PCR test. They said, no, you can't. They cross to the other side, ask the Lufthansa guys. The Lufthansa guys say, no, you cannot go. So anyway, I end up not going to Germany. 
I'm sitting there. I'm like, okay, so what do we do now? Would you guys let me go somewhere else if I bought another ticket from Istanbul to another place? And they said, normally no, but you're nice. So we're going to try to help you out. I swear that's exactly what happened. Beautiful. Yeah. Beautiful. And, and so I said, yes. okay, give me a 10 minutes. And they said, yeah, you have 22 minutes exactly before we close the counter. So I buy a ticket to Ljubljana simply because Munir, it's like a brother to me, but also the producer of the show here, was mentioning that he might come to Slovenia next month. I was like, okay, he said Slovenia, maybe I should listen. Let's go to Slovenia. I cannot tell you how much I love it. Like every part of this experience so far has been incredible. It's an amazing place. People are incredibly wonderful. I don't know, most of my listeners know I love coffee. So today in the morning, I... Oh, I love coffee too. Oh, I my, love coffee. My God, I, I realized that there is this underground... I walk into a coffee shop randomly and I realize there is this underground craft coffee lovers and he owns the cafe I went in, gives me all of the other names as if he doesn't want to see me again. I was like... I would have come here every day. And he says, no, no, but you have to try all of those others, right? And it's just so wonderful. The whole experience is so wonderful. It's not the plan I had of being in Berlin and doing this and doing that, and blah, 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 but it's wonderful. Why do we resist this? I don't understand. I mean, isn't life literally trying to tell us something? Yellow door, can you please stop trying to break this one? You know, red is no longer going to work. That is exactly the way to prime and open our awakened brain is to ask, what is life showing me now? Uh-huh. What is life showing me now? So we don't impute meaning. We don't impute plans on the living. Life is a living, breathing, heart pounding, vibrant reality. It's not an inert stage on which we you know, dance and lay plans and impute meaning. Life is alive. Life doesn't, we don't make meaning. Life reveals meaning. I know that. And true. you live very deeply in an awakened awareness. What is life showing me now? And then what does my deep inner wisdom say about that? Well, Moa, your story. Yes, yes, yes. Yes, indeed. Let's go. Right. So yeah. <laughs> I, I think that's a choice to engage. We all have the endowment for awakened awareness. You've chosen put your hand on the gear shift. And instead of stomping your foot that you're not going out the red door, Berlin is planned you're open to the most magnificent journey that's probably even more sparkling, expansive, and oh, yeah. illuminating anything oh, yeah. that could have been planned looking over yesterday's back shoulder. So when you say life is living, I can't let that one go. What do you mean by that? Scientist, doctor scientist, how can you say this? What does it mean? So life is very much alive. And from the view of science, if we look at every living being, for instance, if you put a dog in the MRI, the dog has the same neural correlates of love as do we, as does a sheep and a goat and a cow. We are all sisters and brothers. And, and I share in the awakened brain the way that our fellow sisters and brothers, the deer, the otter, the duck, the geese, everyone else is living together. Everyone else is acutely aware of yeah. one another and yeah. works together. I share one day I'm kayaking down the river nearby and suddenly the geese are in loud calls, several geese are craning their necks, directing me uh -huh. into a different path. And the signal was so strong. What is life showing me now? So I followed the craned neck of the geese and quickly paddled to the right, narrowly avoiding a huge buried cement impasse. I would have flipped my kayak. I could have been very injured. The geese were helping me. Mm. 
Okay, I go further down. The geese are no longer there. I hit another barricade flip. The kayak is full of water. I wave up to a couple on the shore. And the humans looked at me flailing in the water, got in their Mercedes and drove away. Okay, so the question is, can, can we live more like all the other living beings? Can we live in deep relationship and help each other? Can we know that we are loved, held, guided, and never alone, and then show up for one another to be loving, holding, guiding, and never leave each other alone? And most other living beings are in on this symphony of life. We can join them. But right now, I think in general, humanity looks a little tone deaf. So I think we join the symphony and be in relationship with fellow living beings. I share in the awakened brain that when we recover through suffering, through a deepening of awakening, when we open our heart and our soul and we really awaken, we draw into a deeper tandem with the rhythm of life, this type of experience I share with the geese, that life is alive and showing us something, that at the airport, you had the opportunity for the journey of a lifetime and said yes to it. When we awaken, we see the living presence. We see the opening doors before us and the guidance. Hey, push as you might, that red door really is stuck. No Berlin today. And what opens was something never planned, far greater, right? Well, that capacity to awaken comes through metabolizing suffering. People who are awakened are two and a half times more likely to have had a major depression in the past. But once we awaken, we are 75% less likely to have another major depression. And that goes up the protective benefits of living in a much more expanded dialogue with life to 90% protected against a major depression when times are very tough, when we're at high risk as we are now. So what we read now is mass awakening, to, to talk as you right now are speaking, Mo, to understand one another and share an awakened awareness and to make big decisions from an awakened point of view. An awakened decision is the better decision. It is the more creative, it is the more innovative, it is the more prosperous in every sense of the word because it is aligned with the true nature of life. And I think what I love most about the awakened brain, which I think, again, most awakened people know that, but most others don't, is how you position that awakening not as something reserved for those who go to spirituality school, you know, that it's a gene almost, it's a design of our brain in all of us. Can you expand a bit on that, Sal? Yes, you know, it is in our birthright. Absolutely, Mo. If you look at twin studies, twins raised together, twins raised apart, you can see the extent to which any trait is inborn or environmentally formed. This capacity for transcendent awareness, awakened awareness, is in our birthright. Every one of us is born with the capacity for awakened awareness. It is one third innate. It's in us but two-thirds environmentally cultivated, which means the impact of our culture, as you said at the top, has an enormous, our parents, our teachers, the 10,000 exchanges with our schoolmates. And as we grow older, the choices we make in our inner practice, those with whom our Sangha Mingya fellowship journey groups in life, those with whom we share, our wise teachers, as you say, are one another, share our time. We start to make choices that bring forward an environment as we get older shapes our capacity for awakening. But the awakened brain is our birthright. Whether we use it is a choice. Whether we use it and cultivate it is a choice. Now, when we do, it's very, very interesting. When we use the awakened brain, EEG studies show us that we give off a wavelength. The spiritually engaged brain gives off high amplitude alpha right out know, of the back yeah. of the head, Yeah, right? 
posterior alpha, where many faith traditions place sacred covering across the world, including the baseball cap. <laughs> <laughs> yes, which is faith. I can tell you that. It definitely is. <laughs> <laughs> and so that wavelength, the spiritually engaged brain vibrates with alpha, that wavelength has another name and another field. It's Schumann's constant. It's the vibration from the Earth's crust up one mile. It is the vibration of nature herself. The spiritually engaged brain vibrates with the wavelength of creation, of all life, of all nature, from the Earth's crust up one mile. Oh, wow. That felt sense of oneness is actually a oneness at the level of that which we detect through energy wavelengths, which I call consciousness. In my next book, I wrote about the idea that when we meditate, like deeply, deeply meditate, we get to alpha. The idea for me was that alpha, from a computer scientist point of view, is basically your processor, your computer processor oscillating at the fastest speed it can. It's giving you its full processing power, if you want, right? So you remember in the old days when Intel had the 33 megahertz processor that you could add turbo to, that was so cool, you know, and with turbo it becomes 66. So you're sort of oscillating faster. You can do more things. And in my, in my view, basically, that meant that your awakened awareness is your highest ability to actually process life in any possible way, to be aware of it or to grasp it or to listen to it. Now you're saying that this actually is the language, the frequency in which life speaks. Life itself. Oh my God. And the forces in and through life. Now I think, Mo, that all of our sisters and brothers are dialing in to Alpha. The geese who saved me from a terrible injury mm. when I was kayaking, we're connected at alpha. When I feel a connection, when I sort of feel at the level of the heart, a resonance with a fellow living being, the deer, the geese, I think we're moving at the level of oneness, which is detected in its wavelength as alpha, high amplitude mm. alpha. Mm. So everyone else is in on the symphony and we can play in key. We can join alpha. This is an alpha symphony, the symphony oh of God, life. That's so beautiful. And I have to jump in to ask a very important question. So it, it's our birthright. Everyone has it. And yet those who refuse spirituality or refuse spiritual practice sort of block it off. They, they sort of push it away. Now, I, I recall one of my most interesting moments, if you want, in the history of spirituality was, if you remember the book, The Secret, which I believe is the worst ever written book on the planet. Like it's totally horrible, right? But it really changed, it started a movement of non-spiritual people believing in manifestation. And in an interesting way, it was, you don't have to be, you don't have to believe in the stuff that those who have been investing in their spiritual side had to believe in, but you can still do this. How can we change that about alpha, about awakened awareness? How can we tell people, find your awakening awareness first, and then spirituality will follow, I can guarantee you. I think you're saying something extremely important, which is in our dialogue with life, this is not a mail order catalog. We don't decide <laughs> that we want you know, a size 10 in blue and get it in the mail, right? This is not sending out what we want based on yesterday's information, based on our achieving awareness for ourselves to get what we want. This is instead a receptive engagement with the deep spirit in life through which we are in dialogue and where I'm going. I don't know. I don't know. I don't control where I'm going and I don't know what it looks like, 
but I do trust very, very deeply in my perceived connection. It's not a blind faith, my witness, my perceived connection with the spirit of life that guides me not to Berlin, but to Slovenia, where the best coffee I've ever had in my life is. That I remember when I was in college, it was time to pick a summer job. And there was one job literally off the paper. I didn't even know what this place was. I'd never heard of it. But off the paper, I could feel the resonance. I could feel this numinous resonance. So I said, oh, I'll go there. (laughs) And I met my husband. Oh, there you go. Yeah. Lucky, lucky man. (laughs) Kind of you. (laughs) I hope he feels the same. But, But the idea was that I was looking at jobs, but what I found was a spouse, right? Because I felt the presence say, come here. You know what, Lisa? I'm going to do something I rarely ever do. Because I could and will talk to you for days on end. But I think there has been so many gold nuggets in the 40 minutes we recorded that I would rather have everyone listening rewind and listen again. I really do. I think this has been so beautifully stated about a way of living, really, a way of of reprogramming ourselves from that achieving awareness that the modern world has taught us to our instinctive awakened awareness. And it's so valuable that I probably would want to end our conversation here, have everyone rewind and listen again And hopefully, if you're open to it, continue the conversation on another day and another episode. I'd love to come back and continue this, Mo. I think we're thought partners here. I really do. We have a lot more to discuss. Totally. And I'm so, so grateful for what you're doing. Of course, I'm very grateful that you joined us today. But I'm so grateful that you're taking that idea of what we know instinctively, our spiritual side knows instinctively, and proving it with science. I really love that. I think the world really needs that. And in a way, I, as I started our conversation, I truly believe that you are exactly what the world needs. So I will thank you tremendously. I will tell everyone, please do rewind and listen again. I know you may not have captured every bit of this conversation, but there is so much to believe in, to understand. Listen back and then open your yellow doors. And Mo, I want to thank you because you see the brightness and the strength and the spirit in all all of us, that we are all endowed with an awakened brain. This is not the most pious. This is not the most experienced meditators. This is not the best hit amongst priest rabbis. This is every one of us. Believe it, Lisa, some of the most awakened people I know, all they needed to do is flip a switch and say, I no longer will disprove of my awakening. I honor my knowing. I honor my deep inner wisdom. I had friends that were literally at the level of psychics, like they could know so many things and they were just simply resisting it. And when they let go, just let go, they could see a world, life differently than they did before, but fully as it actually is. And I really think this is key because you're right. We are operating on half a brain. We're operating less than half a brain, as a matter of fact, we're restricting our awakened awareness by applying too much achieving awareness. And I think if we just open up, maybe the whole world would change. Love and joy and seeing each other as bright emanations of spirit of joy. That's amazing what you just said. You know what I was about to say? I was just going to ask, does your awakened awareness tell you how much I love you? I actually loved you before we started this conversation. 
And it's so interesting that the minute I wanted to say this, you said love and connection and the same word that popped up in my brain. Looking right at you felt love. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. You're the best. I'm well, so grateful you. for spending the time with you. I told you at the beginning, things that are worthwhile take time to happen. So I would love for us to be together again and speak together again. And one day I would love to show you the best coffee wherever you are, because I, it's a hobby. So I probably know some place that will be amazing. For all of you listening, I really do, and I tell you openly, believe that this is one of the most profound conversations we had here on Slow So I ask you to please listen to it again, find the gold nuggets and do share it with others. Tell others about what you heard here today, that awakening of you today might actually lead to the awakening of so many others, which is exactly what our world needs. I can't tell you how much I appreciate the alibi that you gave me to speak to so many wise people with this slow-mo excuse I give them so that I can meet them. And I have to say that it's really a privilege and, a, and an honor for me to have those conversations and to share them with you. Remember to maybe slow down a little more and find yourself the time to find that awakened awareness. I love you all for listening and I will see you next time.